the day. You can contact us on, t- contact us on Twitter at iProperty or by email at hello at iproperty.com. You can also text into the show on 8087939 Your hosts today are myself, Brian Fox, and beside me is Carol Tallon. Thank you, Brian. Okay, we have a special show for you today where we focus on the challenges and opportunities within the planning regime and we have the experts on hand to help us navigate this. But first, let's look at some of the big property stories of the week. So one of the interesting ones, Brian, I saw was that our housing minister hopes to have the rent register legislation in place before the Easter recess. Mm, It's a big development, isn't it? Uh, It is, and it's an important one, particularly in light of um, the rent pressure zones, because they, in order for them to work, they absolutely depend on transparency and Mm -hmm. a register whereby tenants can check Mm -hmm. what rent is actually being paid. It's hard to believe that less than a decade ago, we didn't even have a register of national property prices. And back then... Back then, buyers were buyers and sellers. There just wasn't the same certainty and transparency in the market. So, actually, by bringing in the rent register, this will add a level of certainty, certainty and transparency that the market needs. So, in other words, then, if I'm if I'm renting a property, right, mm-hmm. or renting an apartment or a house, I will know myself from the register just how many people have been renting this particular property. Is, is that how it is? More importantly, you'll know how much the last tenant was paying and so then the you'll know time. that the rent, um, you will know if the rent was increased by more than 4% per annum which is allowed. Right. So yeah. it is an important development because look, there's a lot of talk anecdotally that um, there are many there are many ways to circumvent this legislation. Um, for example, there's ambiguity in the law in terms of what constitutes a renovation, as in how extensive that needs to be. Um, and in the past, people were able to let tenants go, give them their notice and um, on the basis that they wanted to sell the property. So there's changes all around that legislation to provide But it covers greater. all properties, whether it's renovated or new or whatever. Um, well, not new, because actually this is all for properties that that's actually, have already been, been, yeah, been rented. New, yeah, new properties are still subject to market forces and that's the reality. So, yeah, that, look, that's that, a that's, big one. That's to be in before Easter, right? So that's, that's coming Well, the legislation. Shortly. The legislation will be in place yeah, for yeah. the Easter recess. But look, we've, we've heard that kind of um, ambitious talk before. So we'll see, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. But there was another interesting one there and this was a piece in the Irish Times talking about the potential price-setting power of institutional landlords. Now, now I think this is an interesting one, particularly in light of um, the the emergence of this built to rent sector or the, the private rented sector um, it's really taken off in a direction that we shouldn't have been surprised by because it really is mirroring what's happening So institutional, um, in institutional landlords I guess will be banks and so forth, is that the idea? Um, more than likely pension funds, pension funds and, yeah, and private yeah. funds and more often than not um, they're not well actually it can be the REITs as well but more often than not they're not Irish Yeah, um, they've, they've been getting a bad press lately haven't they in some, or, am, I, am I right on that uh, one? They have. Some they have Some but actually funds, yeah. well look they've been incorrectly called vulture funds yeah, as well and that's yeah, an argument that, for another yeah, day yeah. but um, they're absolutely not vulture funds they're yeah. institutional investors and institutional sure. landlords and there are other countries and other jurisdictions where this would be the only type of landlords you have and in fact there are pros and cons to that as well but um, the difficulty in Ireland is that we have always had a rental market made up by private and I'm going to say amateur landlords and that's brought its own own level of problems but what's interesting about the piece in the Irish Times is that they were looking at a report that was compiled by the Department of Finance Mm -hmm. and essentially what they were talking about um, is that 
that in certain areas in Dublin, for example, in Chapel Lizard, uh, 52% of all the apartment rentals were by institutional right. landlords. Yeah. Um, in Tala and Springfield, that was about 40%. Um, and oh, by well, the way, sorry, I'm sorry, let you finish No, but actually, one of the things I want to point out here is that the analysis didn't find that price setting was already occurring, but it really raised a flag to say that um, there's a risk that there's that there's such scale of the institutional investor and group of investors coming into Ireland that it is almost inevitable that this could develop into a what they described as monopolistic yeah. um, and, and that they would have such pricing power in the market. So I think it's interesting to see this flagged because I think maybe um, opposition to some of these institutional landlords were citing that as an argument. Yeah. So there's two interesting findings from this report. One, that there has to this point been no price setting but to the potential for that is yeah. pretty huge. Uh, is that a healthy? Is that a healthy situation? Have fifty-two percent of the markets of the apartment stock rented out by companies and in in, in is that, that? How would you see that yourself? You, you know, that's a little bit like asking: Is property ownership good or bad? When I can, def- there are definitely pros and cons to both sides of that. But the reality is that institutional investors generally bring a more professional slant okay. to the marketplace. Okay. Okay. Um, but that there, but there is space for all landlords. So that's one of the important things. Right. Um, so I think that's a story that probably is going to to garner garner support as we go through. So it'll be interesting to watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other stories that caught my eye was the sod turning for the new runway at Dublin Airport, and I think that's actually very timely. That was only in the last couple of days. I think there was some very good photographs. There was some very good. Put only Listen, we we don't have politicians no, that take no. any bad photos, so I don't know what but, you mean, uh, Brian. <laughs> but I think what's interesting is that that was in the Sunday paper. But actually, just today, um, it was reported just in the last few hours that actually Dublin Airport has had its busiest January on record. So mm-hmm. in its 79-year history, um, there's been 2.1 million passengers through Dublin Airport mm-hmm. this month. So I think that kind of story really highlights the need to to um, expand Dublin for Airport the, yeah. and for the third runway at Dublin Airport. But there has been local opposition. Well, let me just put something to you because there's a very... I, I, I was a journalist actually who's telling me about it. He's telling me that the Dublin Airport Authority is offering to buy people's homes for the set value with a mark of 30%. Now, I would have thought myself that homes like that that are built on along an M50 or something like that that are proposed to a motorway are CPO'd. There's, they get the market value and that's it. Whereas the DAA now are offering... The market value, if I'm correct. Yeah, no, they're offering market value plus thirty percent. That's a fairly yeah. generous offer, isn't it? Well, I, I, as somebody who doesn't live there, would absolutely look at this and say, yes, that's a generous offer. I wonder if I lived there, would I feel the same way? Um, I, again, this is this seems to be just uh, the latest in a series of objections to big infrastructure plans and very important strategic plans that's happening and. Um, look, there, last week we spoke a lot on the show about uh, the importance of public consultation and community engagement. And there is, a, there is, of course, a huge importance to that. But we have to think about the economic interests of the state as a whole. And unfortunately, these objections, like many others, they talk about uh, noise levels. They Sometimes it's environmental concerns. But the reality is there's always a huge concern that this type of development devalues the value of a home. Mm -hmm. And the reality is it probably does devalue your home. 
but can we put the interests of one homeowner over the interests of the state? So we're talking about Dublin Airport. It has had its busiest January on record. Can we really prioritise um, the individual ownership of the the individual's ownership and how the, the their valuation mm-hmm. of their yes, home might yeah, yeah. so it's not about just the use because obviously the noise levels actually have been assessed mm-hmm. um, and and there's at least it's not getting as complicated as Heathrow Airport let's put it like that anyway well, not yet not yet, not yet. Yeah, yeah. but um, actually because that's something on on the public consultation side that brings us directly back into planning and the role that the public have in planning so. Last week we touched on it. This week we're hoping to get into some further detail on it. And I think our guests today will be able to help us make sense of some of these big planning issues. Well, this week we have a very special select, a special episode of uh, Property Matters. We'll be joined by uh, Dr. William Hines, Managing Director of Future Analytics Consulting and veteran property expert Robert Colleran. So, Robert, maybe we'll just start with you. Welcome. Thank you for coming in. Thanks very much, Brian. Um, there's some changes in planning. Um, what is the current state of of our planning situation? I think it's very much work in progress in terms of where we're where we're moving towards uh, in terms of greater height and um, in terms of I suppose number of cores per, per apartment unit. There's been a, v- a bit of a relaxation uh, by the government in terms of uh, dual aspect. <coughs> so it's it's all boding well but it is work in progress in terms of when you look at STZ strategic These development strategic zones yeah. um, it's it's kind of go, it, it, it's, it's enabling uh, I suppose as you said the strategic uh, investment funds uh, you know private rental sector development uh, it's a relaxation of apartment size and type uh, it's it's down to if it's managed within uh, good design it can allow for uh, I suppose higher uh, apartment developments with extra amenities it doesn't have to necessarily have to be higher density but in, in key uh, key city centre locations or, or you know there might be certain areas like Houston uh, South Quarter Cherrywood that uh, are, are taking full advantage of these. Uh, I, I, I want to talk to you about Air, Airbnb legislation, but, but, but just before we go on to that, I mean, it's a point that's 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 quite controversial in Dublin. This is the high-rise type of uh, apartment living. Dublin City Council seems to have a problem with that. Do you, is that is that my is that a correct assumption? Well, no. I think traditionally, <coughs> traditionally certain sites were uh, designated for landmark development sites, which would allow greater height, but. You know that that could be areas certain specific sites in the docklands might might be allowed extra height. You know if you if you look at um, I don't know Sir John Rushton's Key or, or, or certain areas where apartments are, are are greater height. Whereas traditionally there's a bit of a I, I suppose a bit of a chop in terms of the height uh, of of development in the docklands in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you might get certain buildings that could be up to twelve stories in height, whereas most of them are. You know, you're you're limited by, uh, by by height. But I'm referring now to apartments that you see on the continent that go 20, 30 floors up. That's not going to be entertained here, is it? Well, I, I suppose I, I I don't know what what are your thoughts on that, Billy? Uh, can you can you see it going to that level? Like the Elysian down in Cork is probably the the, the highest so far. Yeah, um, and uh, thanks very much for inviting me onto the show this evening. Um, I think your uh, opening question there, Brian, was asking about you know changing and planning and where mm, we're getting to. Yeah. <coughs> I think say since say t- uh, 2010, we have seen a definite say shift 
in how planning is being, say, uh, organised, assessed and delivered throughout the country, particularly in our urban areas, our, our city areas. And that was when the legislation, the 2010 Act came in, when it was uh, put forward that we need a very evidence-based approach. And from that, and also looking beyond Ireland and into, into the continent, we are learning a lot from what is happening within our, you know, our, our neighbouring European cities and beyond. And with that is the complete shift towards urbanisation. So the population is moving towards... Uh, shifting towards the city. Yeah. So yeah. with that, the city councils and Dublin city council within that are uh, realising that there is a need for height increases, mm-hmm. there is a need for density and still remaining within the footprint of our urban area. You know what I mean? So where the legislation has moved us towards this evidence-based, looking to the Europe and beyond is helping us in that situation as well. The increase of urbanisation, population increase in our cities has again led, led us to this space. And again, we're having to respond. We as, as practitioners, we as city councils and we as the public have begun to realise that density is not all bad and it's actually good if, if properly planned and managed and designed. OK, well, let's just look at, um, speaking of legislation, this Airbnb, Airbnb sector is quite controversial and... Um, it's a case where, um, well, I, I think a lot of hoteliers aren't too happy with it. What's, what is the situation now with legislation with that particular issue? Well, I, I'd say realistically, I, th- I think the timeline will be June by the time it comes into effect. But there's been it's it's been earmarked by, um, I suppose, Owen, Owen Murphy. It's been earmarked in different minister for housing. Yeah, minister for housing. So I think what will happen is that they limit the number of days that. Uh, a private individual can rent out uh, an apartment, be it a, a, a private house in 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 a, a private house or a private apartment in city centre. So right. the idea behind it is to uh, to limit the uh, the level of rent being charged. Obviously, if if Airbnb is 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 running in, let's just say close to Temple Bar, you you might be charging a rent that in effect is two and a half times the the, the open market rent of value. So th- there will be a, a, a change to that, but at the same time, legislatively enforced. Yeah, I think it will. So it, it'll mean that you know you'll have to have uh, limitations to ninety days mm-hmm. where you can have it Airbnb. So that might be the summer months, yeah. and then outside of that, you'll have to have uh, a straight a straight rental. Or the other talks are that you might have to have uh, commercial rentals of it that you might have to have uh, monthly rentals or weekly rentals uh, and, and limit the rest to maybe the winter months you have it as a, as a set tenancy and as an Airbnb host if you have an apartment would say is it worth your while uh, staying in business c- certainly I, I think some people mm. uh, um, will probably run it to whenever the legislation comes in, comes in yeah. and, and then it's a case that they'll, they'll, they'll alter it but straight, straight away you have different investors that are looking at Ireland you know, if the property is Airbnb, uh, they're they're looking at what the what the rent will revert to when the legislation comes in. Um, you know, f- from that case, th- they're going to say, well, when the when when the legislation comes in, what will the open market rent of the property? What will the yield affect, or how will that inve- affect the, the the investment property? Right. Uh, it will ov- obviously put uh, stress on the hotel. That's what's money. You've jumped to my next question. Yeah. Now. So briefly, if you could, w- will there be a lot of stress put on the on the hotel? I certainly think so. Yeah. Uh, we have the capacity at the moment to cater for no, summer no. traffic. No, uh, th- there's, there's probably. Uh, 
I don't know, conservatively, there's probably demand for uh, 8,000 beds uh, as, it, as it stands w- within Ireland. You know. What do we currently have? In total beds, uh, I'm not too sure what the total figure is, uh, but I just know just in terms of uh, some of the reports, they were saying seven and a half, eight thousand at least, if not ten. Uh, just that's growing demand. Like if you look at what happens already is the room rates go up. If you can't get a, a room within city centre, you're, you're, you're forced to locate out towards the airport, out towards West Dublin on a transport line. Um, you know, what happens in general is the, the room rates go up to, you know, I think there's been a, a big push from it's gone from, you know, recessionary times uh 90, 90 odd rooms to minimum minimum 150, 200 mm-hmm. uh, and it'd probably go up if there's an event on or if there's a certain conference on or a sporting event room rates will go up so it, it will cause unnecessary stress on the market yeah. And yeah, does that does that explain why we're seeing a shift almost, I, I won't say away from hotels as such but there's definitely seems to be a rise of these hotel apartments um, William have you seen that on the planning yeah. side? The, are, are they called apart hotels? Apart hotels. The likes yeah. of uh, Stay City uh, would be would be one of the market leaders. Whereas Stay City would generally, they're they're more renters than purchasers. So they'd they'd rent out a block of apartments, and then what they'll do is they'll in effect rent them short term, as as a, a short stay. Uh, a part hotel okay and so as well as that it probably ties in with planning guidelines as well yeah. whereas certain uh, planning <coughs> zonings might allow for a part hotel but they mightn't allow for straight apartments so yeah. the and, but just going back say to the Airbnb say situation um, I suppose at the time it did respond to a need where there was say little development in the hotel business the hotel industry to say the tourism sector was quite low the level of uh, uh, tourism inward mm-hmm. again because of the economic crisis we were in but it, uh, but it responded to it and okay well now we're going to get legislation that's going to say control or organise that more better mm-hmm. but I thought it was it was a good say springboard to really get the kind of the, the tourism economic benefits from that really I mean, enhanced again within our cities and within Ireland, Inc. If you want to call it that, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was was a good opportunity for us. Do you know what I mean? And do you welcome the legislation? Do you think it's a good thing? In certain cases, uh, but it, 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 in certain situations, you'd hope that it'll free up more standard apartments in Dublin city centre. What, what, what happens at the moment is, you know, Dublin two rents, Dublin four rents are getting too high, uh, mm-hmm. where you might have the you know, I suppose the the techie sector might mm. be driving out the, the the rest of the market. So as a result of that, if the rents are going up to two and a half or three thousand euro or higher in around the docklands, people are getting forced out. So th- it has a spill-on effect. So yeah. then, what happens is Dublin eight or Dublin seven areas become more attractive because it starts off that the uh, the rents are more affordable. People move in the rent levels pick up slightly and next thing you know the coffee shops pick up you get a better offering and 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 in general the area picks up so there are benefits of it uh you know it it, it impacts you know it, it balances down to areas that need re- regeneration i have um, a feeling this this is a topic that will okay, <laughs> that, go on that will yeah, go on yeah, and yeah, on yeah, and on yeah. anyway i think we'll we'll um, we'll conclude it for, th- for this uh, part of the program uh, you're listening to property matters here uh, join us after the break we we'll be back with uh, william Hines and robert Colvin for uh, more discussion on planning Will you look at them go? I wish I had their energy. Ah, they're good for the soul though, aren't they? 
I can't imagine life without Lucky, <laughs> but he might outlive me yet. <laughs> oh, well, take my advice and sign up for a Dog's Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free, and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? Well, it's simple, really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dog's Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're open every day of the year from 10am to 10pm, including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1-800-80-45-91. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the senior line number? It's free phone 1-800-80-45-91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with me, Brian Fox, and Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty uh, or email uh, hello at iProperty.com iPropertyRadio.com, excuse me. You can also text into the show at any time, uh, 0879392000. And uh, as I said there before the break, we are in studio here with William Hines and Robert Colron. So, William, um, my, my job now, I'm, I'm in a position to ask you... Um, what do you think is the need for a more evidence-based analytical approach to planning uh, and to lead improved policy formulation and decision-making? I know it's a very big question, but I mean, if you just, <laughs> if you could address it, maybe. Yeah, I, again, going back to my earlier comment about, the, say, the 2010 Planning Act, in that there was a need for this evidence-based, and I suppose it starts with, you know, having an evidence base within your city or county development plan. And one of the bases of the evidence is, say, understanding your population, your demographics, the composition, makeup of that demographic profile of your area. And not only that, but also being able to plan and project forward that population. You know what I mean? And the, the mix and the composition and where it's going to happen and the, the cohort analysis of that. So it's really getting down to understanding your your citizen uh, needs and the the labour force employment needs that generates from that population citizen uh, perspective. So you're you're you're, you're mic- micromanaging basically at a community at a local level. Not, not necessarily micromanaging, mm. but you're getting a really good insight to what's happening at local levels, okay. be it urban, peri-urban, town centre, rural, and and it's been able to project forward. Right, that that within an evidence-based approach, that knowledge, okay, of the the demographics and changing demographics profile, and with that, being able to plan then properly for it. So plan for your community needs, your educational needs, your health needs, your housing needs, but more most importantly, your your uh, economic and employment needs. Mm. So you, you've got this understanding of your demographic profiling and your population projection, mm. and then being properly able to plan for that within your development plan. 
within the policies and objectives of the development plan and then the responding say community in terms of developers and investors understand then what they need to do within the evidence-based approach to satisfy the requirements of the evidence-based approach set out in the policies and objectives of the development plans. You mean so? Okay. So, but how far forward? I mean, I, I, so I understand you're not basing it on the needs of an area today. But how far forward do you project? Is it five years? Is it ten years? Is it forty years? Yeah. Well, in the say the development plan process, you the development plan uh, lasts a, has a six-year time frame, um, and within that time frame, they allow what's called a three-year headroom. So, it's your from that period of a development plan review you're projecting forward or planning forward for nine years minimum but we'd even say that you should be looking at 20 to 30 years and that obviously leads in with the new formulation of the national planning framework which is looking up to 2040 which is really good so you're definitely talking planning for at least 10 years but 15 to 20 should be your base you know what I mean to give you that evidence sorry sorry, no I'm fascinated by this because I'm thinking of you know yes there's the key infrastructure that needs to be put in place around that um, but in Ireland we don't have a great uh, track record of planning strategic um, or or, uh, infrastructure Mm. investments yeah. and plan that far in advance so as in we seem to know the need for it we seem to say that it was needed a decade yeah. ago and yet we don't seem to get the funding requirements and the planning in place that far in advance why is that? Well I suppose there has been that divide or that separation between say forward planning and planning mm-hmm. and also infrastructure provision and and that 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 has been that separation. However, with the, the say the new approach under the national planning framework and the new uh, national say plan infrastructure plan development plan, those have come together more closely in this you know uh, the, the twenty four forty um, Ireland plan. You know what I mean? The bringing yeah. those two together, which is a really great step forward. So they're linking the planning with the infrastructure requirements, and we have correctly as you say, Carl, we have been somewhat devoid of providing what we call in our space critical infrastructure mm-hmm. and like and you touched on it earlier Brian the critical infrastructure say for the second runway the second north mm-hmm. uh, northern runway Dublin Airport that's considered critical infrastructure like our, our transportation links mm-hmm. that's critical infrastructure mm-hmm. our health infrastructure absolutely critical infrastructure and there has been that say void there but again through the linking of investment with proper planning now it will so catch up because we're in a space of catch up and there will be much more integration and linking between the uh, two. Have we been guilty of bad planning in the past? I mean, it does sound as if it's it's a lot more clear uh, blue cloud yeah. thinking, as they say, in relation to this now at the moment of what you're saying anyway. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't actually say call it bad planning, but it's maybe a lack of, in certain areas, evidence-based planning. Evidence-based so you, planning. You, 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 That's the, the important. Yeah, so maybe the, the methodologies or tools and techniques mightn't have been as tried and tested as they are today. So you're kind of planning in a different space mm-hmm. where now there is really good processes, practices, uh, um, methodologies out there to, to really inform what leads to good planning, both for the, the public sector, so the development plan preparation, as I said, and then also in the private sector responding to that so they can provide the necessary either social, uh, economic or uh, community infrastructure required you know, to really bring so on areas. I suppose areas. Government, governments and local, commu- local authorities then are, are obviously... 
looking at it with with that sort of evidence placed uh, perspective in mind, yeah. uh, as opposed to the past. Then was that, yeah. was that the way you would put it? Exactly. And that can I can sorry. I interject here with a mm. bit of um, normally normally I'm the idealist of the group and Brian's the cynic, but um, oh. there, there, there's an area of this that I'm quite cynical about, and that is um, the interference, the political interference. So things are on a roll now in terms of infrastructural planning. Is that going to come to a crashing end at the end of Fine Gael's term or the end of our current housing minister? Um, we seem to we seem to put big, important key projects on hold when there's political change. And then we seem to be very much um, um, really swaying in the wind wherever the political winds are blowing. And is is that is that the reality of the planning? How much of this, how much of this is subject to the political party and order of the day? Well, there, there obviously planning has a, a big input from the political space, and that, you, you, you know, that, that absolutely because the 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 the, the, the politicians uh, are there to represent. The citizen, the community, society as a whole. So it absolutely is is necessary. You know what I mean? And they have a voice in that. Um, m- my opinion is with the the formulation of this what we call Project Ireland 2040, where it's brought together the, the new planning framework, new pla- national planning framework, and the national development plan. Where it's brought to those two together, and this was agreed and signed up by all within the political space. There's real certainty so there. So there's cross party support. Yeah, and the certainty there now about what are the key infrastructure requirements, the key infrastructures to be provided, and there's real sign up and buy in today. That, you know what I mean? Which is really going to, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, is going to transform uh, the, the Ireland as a whole, but also really our urban areas and the linking and integration of our urban areas. Again, going back to the yeah. shift towards urbanisation, which is key for the citizen again. OK, and look, I, I understand that <coughs> Ireland is not isolated in this, that this um, trend towards urbanisation, it's a global trend. I yeah. think at the moment, is it... Um, is it 50% of the world's population yeah, live in urban areas and that's likely to be two thirds over the yeah, next? They're saying by 2050, mm-hmm. we're going to have 75% of the global population is going to be living in urban areas, in our cities effectively. But does that raise a threat to rural Ireland? Because I'm very conscious that despite the fact we're going out on air on Dublin South FM, yeah. you know, we're podcasting nationwide and hopefully internationally, Brian, if we play our cards right. But for rural Ireland, this shift towards urbanisation um, is this going to is this going to grow the urban area of Galway? Is it going to grow the urban area of Waterford or of Limerick, or is it this growth going to be restricted really, as we've seen, to Cork and Dublin? Well, uh, uh, just if I can on that space again, say going back to our national planning framework, mm-hmm. so they have identified our key five key urban cities where there's going to be growth, but. In association with that, they've identified a number of other key urban areas, primary and secondary urban areas. Like large market towns like Bathlone or... Exactly, Navan, etc. So within that space, the, the idea is to concentrate growth within those cities particularly and also in the other urban areas to concentrate them on where possible on brownfield sites so your footprint is not increasing. And as we spoke earlier about density and height, 
as well so bringing in proper planning and design within that space as well but in a way you you it's very hard to combat the, the globalisation of this urbanisation yeah, is happening. Yeah. And, 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 and we have to respond. That. And yeah. we have to respond, you know, very sensitively to that, but using really proper planning and design to relate yeah. to that as well. And, and but also protecting our, say, rural towns and villages within that space. And the economic strength and of rural Ireland as well. I mean, because that's sometimes something that's undermined when rural areas are considered almost as... Um, as commuters, uh, commuter spaces. Yeah. For example, I, I saw in one of the reports that the greater Dublin area included Longford. Now, in what universe in the country the size of Ireland can the greater Dublin area include Longford? That, yeah. that surely isn't the case. Um, look, I, and I understand you mentioned there that, that the development in those areas you're looking at brownfield sites but we're joined by Robert Collarin here on the panel today and Robert you're you're you've got a good finger on the pulse in terms of development land not just in Dublin but but across Ireland I mean is it true there was a there was a conference a couple of weeks ago and one of the speakers said that there are vast amount amounts of development land and that that comment got quite a lot of criticism and I think the difference there was that perhaps there might be vast amounts of land but is it zoned and is it suitable for development? Well, it's a, it's a, a combination of is it zoned, is it serviced, uh, is the is the public transport there? So I, I know William touched on Navin, so Navin would be seen as a strong commuter town. Uh, Good shopping facilities, good travel distance from from Dublin, uh, Black Castle lands, other 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 sites in the area have sold. There is an SDZ which was in Navan. It, it seems to be coming back again. But the, the, the key thing here is is also is price affordability. And what you're finding is that commuter towns are becoming more attractive because of the uh, mortgage lending criteria. If you can if you can buy a property, you know. Slightly less than three hundred thousand, or you know, in that kind of two ninety to three hundred or three hundred and fifty thousand, you're getting into affordability. And then if you're tied in, you might be uh, look. You could be Drogheda, you could be North Wicklow, you could be Nice, Kildare. If you're within a commute distance of Dublin, uh, you can commute into Dublin. Uh, you know, live and live further out, but your travel distance is the same. It, it depends on public transport, but then of it, course, yeah, you know, it, and actually that's probably what we saw, um, say in terms of Gorey, because obviously Gorey in North Wexford, that's an area that once the M11 opened, um, it really opened up that town or that region in North Wexford to a much greater extent than parts of South Wicklow have been mm. opened up. Um, so there's an example of an area that's probably 20, 30 kilometres further away from the city and yet is infinitely more accessible because of the motorway. The it's, motorway. The, it's, the, it's the commute time and distance. I have a site coming up in, in, in Gorey and there'll be strong demand in it. But at the same time, there's limited planning there. I think Gannon had a site recently that's exchanged, that sold. Uh, there's probably more demand for, for land there, but it's not zoned. You'll have to wait for the next development zoning to come true. Yeah. Can I just go back to one point there? Because, I mean, to speak of a, speaking of a local story, there's the um, the zone, the, the, the development zone in Cherrywood. There's a lot of anxiety there. We've seen the, 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 the stories last week of the survey done that uh, I'm not quite sure of the company that did it, of the... Um, 
the traffic problems now that are in Dublin. Um, the, the I think it was Stephen Donnelly, the TD actually, did, did, put but it out on, on Facebook Live. There are concerns now locally here that Cherrywood, with all the people moving in there, and uh, you know, obviously with cars then and so forth, that the motorways and, and, and the tram, the Lewis tram, simply can't cope with the numbers. Um, well, yeah, I think so. I think, look, the benefit with Cherrywood, and if you're talking about future planning, Heinz have actually gone and done it right. Uh, they've put in a good road system. Uh, they've put in within the within zone. within the cherry within the, the 416 acres. Mm. The proper road network there. They've built facilities. You've uh, football pitches, tennis courts. All of that is in place. It's a matter for the public to use the public transport. You have a feeder bus to the Dart. You have uh, connectivity. To the Dart, right? Yeah. So the, the 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 park would provide a feeder bus to the Dart, but you've also Lewis, which is there. Um, Lewis has been there for the last ten years. So it's a case that um, there is good public transport because you have Dart, Lewis, and then you have the the, the bus network. It's a matter for the public to use it, but what what you do find is that there's a bit of a bottleneck coming out from town, and it's just the M50 traffic is is coming out and verging with the N11. So, you know, on on, on a Friday afternoon in particular, uh, once you hit five o'clock, there is that pinch point. Uh, I don't know how to... But you you feel it then as a responsibility of the the residents and tenants within trade? Well, it's a case of commuters. If if, if they use the public transport, is it a case that can you get more use of the Lewis there, uh, more regular occurrences? But even at the moment, uh, like I hear people giving out if they're hitting... Uh, if they're co- travelling in from Leopardstown at a certain time, uh, you know the Lewis might come along and it's full or, 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 or it's 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 packed. It's just, I suppose, if everybody's going to turn the tap at the same, same time, time. Yeah. You, you know that's that the, there is hot spots, you know, yeah. where where you're going to have that problem. But yeah. I think if if public transport is used properly. Uh, it should help, but it, it it is a problem. I I don't know how to fix it. Can I can I draw your attention, gentlemen, to um, it was a piece in the Sunday Independent, actually by Conor Skeen this week, and apparently, I'm not sure what report this came from, but apparently Dublin is third worst, the third most congested city in yes, the world after sure. Bogota uh, and Rome. Uh, and I, you know, just before we finish up on this, I really have to say that um, I think Conor Skeen probably nailed it. He said uh, traffic conge- congestion will never be entirely solved. Our aim should be to make it less bad, more tolerable um, and at more acceptable levels. But I think he, he finishes by saying that the answer doesn't lie in the hands of traffic planners, but instead it lies in the need to reform governance to provide a city region level control with high levels of autonomy where the power to raise and spend money, but also to provide leadership and vision to make hard decisions. So he's asking for our planners to, to make more tough decisions. But in true... Connor Skeen style he does he does close out by saying we will have to fix our governance before we can fix our traffic okay and that's the end of part two we'll be back with Robert Collar and William Hines after the break so don't go away South Dublin this is Dublin South FM could you and your dog spend one hour per week bringing special moments to people in care centres or would you like one of our volunteer visiting teams to come and visit your care centre At Irish Therapy Dogs, we have a dedicated interest in the use of pet therapy for people in long-term or daily residential care. A professional organisation aimed at providing a pet therapy service on a national basis. 
If you with your dog would like to get involved, or if you would like one of our visiting teams to visit your care centre, then please call us on 01544-6198 or visit irishtherapydogs.ie for more information. Do you need a professional-looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices, such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com. I've always provided. That's what I do. Even when the job shut down, I somehow managed. But the pressure chips away at your confidence. I felt alone. I needed to talk things out. I learned Samaritans isn't just for when you hit rock bottom. I'm glad I called. It's always worth getting problems big and not so big off your chest. Call Samaritans. No pressure, no judgment. We're here for you. Anytime, talk to us. Free call 116123 or go to samaritans.ie. So this is Broadcasting the to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and Carol Tallon. You can t- contact us on Twitter at iProperty or iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. You can also text the show at uh, 087-939-2000. And uh, we still have Dr. William Hines here, Managing Director of uh, Future Analytics and also Property Expert. Robert Colloran. So let's get back to you, William, again. Um, Can we discuss the uh, new roles of regional assemblies and the formulation of regional spatial economic strategies? Sounds very, very... Can you just give us some light on that particular topic? Yes, so again, going back to our national planning framework, embedded in 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 our national framework was the need to produce these regional spatial and economic strategies. Mm -hmm. Um, They're they're basically replacing the old regional planning guidelines. Um, They're they're being produced by the three regional assemblies of Ireland, um, and Ireland is divided into these regional areas, um, three now that we have. And these are, for the first time, in these regional, say, strategies, they're bringing in not only spatial planning, but economics. So they're bringing in the economic content to them. So what is economically going to be viable in these areas? So the three strategies now are in, are in draft preparation at the moment, and they're out. Um, some of them are on public display, and some have just come up display with submissions just being received. But for all intents and purposes, they're all going to be implemented and, and, and adopted by April, May, of this year and they are going to be the link between our national planning framework and our development plans our city and county plans so if you want to take the national planning framework that's at a national level these these the, the regional strategies are going to be as I say strategic and then development plans are going to be the evidence base on the ground so the, the development plans are going to take say the policies the objectives and guidance mm. from the regional that's mm-hmm. been uh, uh, enforced or driven by the national planning framework and implement them on, on the ground within their uh, planning jurisdiction and and what's really uh, helpful is uh, now throughout the whole of Ireland all the development plans the timing of the development plans are going to be aligned so um, I said earlier about uh, a development plan as a six year time frame but a lot of our city and county plans are out of sync with each other 
you mean within that time frame but these regional strategies when they're adopted are going to allow for the alignment of these so all plans so everybody's on the same page exactly mm. there and, and then you can plan properly and they're going to take what's coming from the uh, assembly guidelines or strategies and implement them in an evidence-based way on the ground within their cities and counties and which is a really uh, uh, a new novel but very informed way of doing it but when it comes to economic strategies then is it up to the local authority or to the local um, trading association or whatever it might be to try and attract business to that area Exactly. And again, within the strategies and the formulation strategies, there was a lot of, say, consultation and a lot of uh, opportunity for for, for uh, the business community, the private community to make submissions into it, uh, to these strategies to say what we feel is needed for our area in terms of economic growth, infrastructure provision, etc. A lot of that will and has been taken on in the various drafts of the strategies. And then as I said, when they get adopted, it's then up to the local authority working again with the business community and the local community to ensure the delivery of the infrastructure economic provision set out so there. So you're sort of customising the, the area to suit your own particular patch in terms of what industry you want to attract? No, not necessarily. Again, it comes back to the evidence base. Yeah. So what is required in an area? based on demographic or population growth Mm -hmm. against the needs of that growth in terms of community infrastructure, health infrastructure, economic development. Then you, uh, as a local authority, uh, you've got the evidence base to know what what can be sustained and then you can work then with the business community, with the private sector community to ensure as best as possible that it is implemented and delivered on within the period of that development plan, again, the six-year period of the plan. Yeah, so it's, very I mean, work, it's, it's an interesting in, one because I mean, there's a lot yeah. of controversy now. Just, I'm sorry, Carl, I just wanted to, because this is an interesting point. This is an interesting topic at the moment because as we see in New York now, New York City, there's huge embarrassment in relation to Amazon pulling out, you know, and there's, there's, there's arguments as to uh, who forced or who forced them out or, or why they were forced out. Some would say that um, because of the bad publicity and all the contrary publicity. Is this Apple and Nathan Rye? They, they decided to run. Or Athen, Apple, so, yeah. so my point being... Um, it is obviously uh, one has to be very tactful in, in, in what they attract to their particular community surely yeah and to make sure it works and make sure it works yeah. and, and and that comes back uh, as we touched on earlier and Robert touched on it about having the the services uh, in place you know what I mean the, the infrastructure in place to be able to support these economic drivers these economic growth engines within the area and also that it sits side by side with the existing community be it residential or the existing economic community, that they're not in conflict with each other yeah. and they're working in unison. And again, these strategies and our uh, delivery of the developments afterwards can really ensure that integration. Okay, um, but would I be right in saying that the delivery falls to, in the, in the most cases, private property developers? No, well, the the the, the, the delivery mechanism mm-hmm. for the spatial strategies, the regional spatial strategies, that will rest on the 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 local authorities in their city and county plans. But in, then, but isn't they, it dependent on private developers actually wanting to develop in those areas and being able to attract finance? Well, it, it, it in the policies and objectives then that follow into the development plan, it's a combination as it always has been between the the local authority 
the private business community and also the resident re- resident community already there. So it's those working together. Mm. But it, it does that the, the the public sector, the local authority, has to be you know very cognizant of the need for the private sector to make it work, to make that yeah. investment work. But they they also have to provide investment themselves in the social infrastructure or the community infrastructure as well. Because with with these, even the best plans require a commercial, they need the commercial support, people who believe in the plan that actually believe in the future potential of the area and are willing to invest their time and energy and, and they take the risk in developing that area. But there's another side to that, and that is accessing finance. So I know, Robert, that's something that you're involved in at the moment in terms of developer finance. Now, a couple of years ago, developers are finding it difficult to get finance for uh, development outside of the Greater Dublin area. Has that changed? Uh, it, it all depends on planning. <laughs> See, if, if a site has full planning permission, uh, you know, a, a developer can borrow off it because then they'll know what the uh, what the takeout rents, uh, what the takeout prices are afterwards. But if a site doesn't have full planning permission uh, and it has a, a general uh, view as to what planning can go on it, it would be very difficult for, uh, um, I suppose, a developer or a purchaser to get finance from one of the pillar banks. So what they might have to do is is uh, go to an alternative um, financial institution. There's probably about ten of them out there in 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 Ireland and seek what you'd say is nearly a bridging finance to purchase the site, then get the the planning permission, and then at that stage. Once they have full planning permission and they're ready for development or, or they've started development, they might look to refinance at that stage. Right. Or it could be a case that they partner up with a large, uh, I suppose, a, a, a large foreign investment fund uh, oh. that could back them. So you might see, look, John Ronan Real Estate or... Partnering or, up. Yeah, or, or other large large developers who are Irish-based partnering up with a with an outside fund. Okay, and where that happens, would it be would it be right to say that and um, the alternative development finance or the finance coming not from the pillar banks that that would be at a is it a significantly higher rate, a relatively higher rate? It would be. Look, I I don't know the ins and outs of it, but you're probably talking ten or twelve percent um, interest rate. So on, on some, what it, does it all depends on the site really it, okay. it, and, and, and the viability of it certain, certain but that must affect the viability of it it does yeah. it, certain uh, properties are seen as being positive you can gauge on if it's if it's private rental sector you have an indication of where the rents are so you kind of more or less know what the uh, what the future rental income would be you can stress test that if it's a nursing home, you can look at what Billy does, look at the demographics, look at the age group. You, you know roughly what the uh, what the demographic is, what the occupancy is. Then you can gauge it off the fair deal rate. You know, if it's student accommodation in a certain area, you'd know roughly is it viable in an area and what students would be willing to pay for it. So in, in instances like that, it's, it, it, you can nearly work out what the return on the investment is. Then you... What you do is you take the cost of construction, development profit, you know, fifteen percent or fifteen percent plus, and to see if it's viable. What you run is a development appraisal, and then you come back and see, is is it uh, is it worth developing or not? And then that has a direct impact from the from the banks of the building societies. Uh, they'd see is it is it something that we can finance? Mm. Okay, and where with that in mind, 
where are you seeing developers looking for sites at the moment? I mean, is it is it across Ireland or is it still very much in Leinster? No, it's it's uh, it, it would tend to go uh, Dublin, Leinster, Cork. Um, now you see you see elements, uh, you know, Galway and, and Limerick are taking on, and then it's the commuter towns from there. But it, it is uh, largely city focused and it, it depends on the return. But with the regional spatial and these sort of economic strategies as well, does it not help the construction industry to sort of target where you know where, where it's where it's economic where it's profitable to build houses nowadays it, it has to be profitable in the end of the day unless you're a housing body uh, that's that's uh, state run it has to stack up and, and what what stacks up is uh, house building to a certain value and and I've even seen recently is that uh, certain housing estates they've they've re uh, submitted planning to go for smaller houses because they find that the larger houses which are priced um, you know they might be priced over the five six hundred thousand just aren't selling in commuter towns and they'll have to go back towards the the lower price 350 uh, 300 uh, price level so yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose what I'm trying to get to is how, how does um how does someone involved in, in construction de- decide where to go I mean do they look at the, fu- the, for the future potential of that area or, or, or what, yeah, what, what it, determines it, the, the decisions if it's in certain areas in Dublin city centre or Dublin suburbs you, 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 you pretty much know based on evidence what's there but if it's further out the likes of, of, of William here will we'll look at you know future analytics will drill down look at the demographics look at the level of demands uh, look at the infrastructure and they'll they'll actually stress test it to see yeah. if development in that town is feasible and it's down to a myriad of things it's down to uh, public transport it's down to amenities it's it's down to future uh, planning i yeah, suppose but it's yeah. future planning but mm. the the next level of uh, of age group what's in the demographics yeah. who mm. wants to live in that area you know just, just you know, it's even down to the number of, of of children in a family that are reaching an age where they want to buy a house. I, I to, sorry to mention that awful word that's that's going around at the moment. Um, is the construction industry getting a little bit anxious in relation to what's happening in relation to um, Brexit and and and, and that develop that non-developing story at the moment? Um, I think so. I think in terms of, I suppose, in terms of commercial. Uh, it's been strong so far in terms of what I've seen is that the office take-up uh, has, has, has increased. Um, there's strong demand for the likes of flexible workspace, as in serviced office providers are, are benefiting. You can see, um, you know, in terms of the large tech companies, multinationals, there there's good focus on Ireland. Mm-hmm. From that point of view, it's strong. Uh, I think the level of demand is going more for rental than purchase. Uh, well, that's probably because of availability, though, would it not? Well, no, it's it's availability, but it's also, um, you know, if you're a, a senior, uh, you might be a CEO or a senior exec from a, uh, from a London-based firm, you get sent over to Ireland, you look to rent rather yeah. than purchase. Yeah. So yeah. It, it is a case that there's, there's probably more demand, especially in the, in the likes of the Docklands, for rent, Rather than rather than purchase, yeah, yeah. So so it's a case that you know some of the larger houses in the south, south suburbs and north suburbs, good affluent areas, you know, that you find that the rents are increasing. The rents are going from five to eight thousand uh, euro a month in some cases, whereas they're 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 sticking on the sale price. 
Yeah, that's but an it, interesting one. So, how does that make it attractive then for these institutional investors when you see the yield being pushed downwards like that? Well, it depends. That's for large houses, but at the same time, institutional investors will look at Dublin Docklands. Mm. They look at the uh, the rent levels that are there at the moment. So, this this pent up demand for certain areas, like people want to uh, want to live and work uh, and walk. Uh, close to where, 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 where they're working. Other, you know, senior people with families yeah. might want to live further out, but you know, there is pent up demand in the Dublin Docklands area. And then what you find is, you know, the rest of the staff, maybe the younger staff, are looking for more affordable accommodation in around the eighteen hundred a month or less in commuter uh, towns, but with good public transport. So you're finding that you're on the Dart or on the Lewis, and and you're having to travel that bit in. And just yeah. to add to that, like mm-hmm. we are having a sea change in our, say, working approach. So our work-life balance is really coming to the fore now. So people who are looking at locations to either buy or rent, quality of life is so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Access to amenities, access to services, access to community facilities is as important as access to employment. Life work balance. Yeah. Okay, um, that just about concludes our special episode of Property Matters. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters, the show where property matters. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much, um, William and and Robert. That's great. Okay, Brian, I think today you'll agree we've gotten some really great insights from the property experts. And I know I, for one, have learned a lot. So again, thank you, gentlemen. But next week we're actually going to we're actually going to go back and we're going to adopt what the Buddhists refer to as a beginner's mind or a beginner's mindset because we're actually going to go into New Park School. We're going to talk to a group of future designers, builders and urban planners about how they see the future of the market. And by the way, we do want to hear from you and to hear your thoughts on this, so please do get in touch with us and with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Sounds great, Carol, but it's as far, as far as today is concerned, we want to thank Dr. William Hines of Future Analytics and veteran property expert Robert Collin for being on the show with us today. Peter Brow is on sound. Katie, Dallin, Katie Talon produced. We're back at the same time next week, but stay tuned for more of Bowl of Soul, which is coming up next. But from Carol Talon and me, Brian Fox, goodbye. 